Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. What have we done today? We did some groceries this morning. We played some badminton yesterday for the first time in many, many years. Hmm. That was fun. How did you feel about that? It was good fun. I'm more of a doubles man, to be honest. I, I don't really like singles badminton. Hmm. I think doubles is like way better. But yeah, I feel like I should play more badminton. It was actually like the best thing in my life back when we were like 16 or something. And it's just like the most fun thing. Like a good, there's nothing better than a good game of doubles badminton. I don't know. I reckon a good game of single squash comes close to a good game of doubles. Badminton. Yeah, you seem to be hyping squash. Nice. A lot. Squash is so sick. If you get into squash, you'll really, really get into squash. Mm. But yeah, I think I feel like I need to make an effort to have some, you know, sport in my life. Yeah, I've been feeling similarly. Um, I've been playing tennis. I've been d- dabbling in a bit of tennis these last couple of weeks. And realized that, oh, this is actually quite fun. I used to really enjoy this. I should I should do more of it. Yeah. And I think the setup I've got at the moment, it's like, it's surprisingly hard to find people to play tennis with uh, who are free, like, in the middle of the day. Because oh. normally, sort of all the tennis clubs and stuff happen in the evenings. Normally people <laughs> have jobs. People have jobs and stuff. <laughs> Those mugs. Um, and so I've been thinking that I could just get a tennis sort of coach person because they can always do middle of the day and then that would actually be like a really fun way of improving and playing and stuff and then when i do play with my like for example jake who's significantly better than i am maybe i'll be in more of a position to give him a decent match yeah that could be nice actually yeah this week i was i've been kind of thinking about this thing about like so we had a few incidences in the past few weeks where some of our customers have needed some help like troubleshooting some problem of like oh hey how do i like get this thing to work in causal not like a problem with the product but more like thinking about how to structure something within within causal right and it's always really fun like problem solving with them to figure out the way that they can solve their problem you know um and like there was a guy a few days ago uh yeah, we had like a sort of over a period of a few days, we had some back and forths on our like live chat about this thing that he was running into, and he was we were trying to figure out okay what's actually going on here, um, and it was so fun just like connecting with someone on this like shared activity or, or like shared problem solving, you know, there, like there was no it was no chit chat, there's no like hey how's it going, you know, there's no learning about the person or whatever. It's just like all right, we're just going to dive into this thing, and you do feel a connection, you know, like <laughs> you, you sort of have a shared headspace which I think is really fun. And I guess I have that with Lucas on causal stuff every day, which is nice, but it's nice to have that sort of shared headspace with other people. And I think you kind of get that through, you know, playing sports and doing little activities together and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think the sports thing is nice as well because it's like if you go out for a tennis match with someone, you play tennis and then you have like a quick sort of drink slash bite to eat in the cafe together. And then it's like, right, well, I guess I'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when should we do this again? There's no sort of long drawn out thing of, you know, we are going out actively to have a coffee and therefore we need to have two hours worth of conversation here. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like, we're going to play tennis and we're going to chit chat occasionally and then we'll, we'll talk for about <laughs> 10, 15 minutes at the end of it. And we're like, right. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's a great way of connecting with your fellow man that I think I've been sort of underappreciating for the past couple of years. Um, Speaking of ways of connecting with your fellow man, uh, another fantastic way of connecting with your fellow man is by learning cool stuff and then 
when you learn the cool stuff, you can connect with other people who also do the cool stuff. Um, that's a, a seamless segue into our sponsor. Who is our sponsor for this episode, Tamo? Our sponsor this week is Skillshare. Uh, thank you to Skillshare for sponsoring the podcast. Why don't you just do the thing? <laughs> I don't like doing the thing. Why don't you like doing the thing? Why don't I like doing the thing? Okay, hold that thought. I'll, I'll do the thing and then we'll talk about why you don't like doing the thing. So Skillshare is a fantastic online learning community with like literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of online classes on all sorts of things from business and creativity to like, I don't know, art and lifestyle and interior design. I've got loads, I've got five classes on Skillshare at the moment. So if you sign up to a free two-month trial of Skillshare going by going to Skillshare.com slash not overthinking, you'll be able to access all five of my classes on, on this. So I've got one on one mammoth one about how to study for exams. If you're a student, that'll be amazing for you. I've got a good one on how to edit videos, which people are saying, you know, I can't believe this is on Skillshare. This should actually be 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 worth like three hundred dollars, uh, etc. People on Twitter have been absolutely yeah. raving about it. I've got another one about how to be more productive. And another productivity one coming out soon, and then one on how to be happier by following principles from Stoicism. Basically, there's all sorts of stuff on Skillshare that you should definitely check out. So if you head over to Skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking, the first 1,000 people to hit that link in this kind of next week will get a free two-month trial to Skillshare. And then at the end of it, it's less than $10 a month for the premium subscription. So it's totally worth it. Much better for you than Netflix. Uh, And you get to learn stuff and connect with your fellow man in that regard. Nice. Yes, why don't you like doing this thing? I think it's because... I think Skillshare is valuable and I advocate for it, but I think it's because I don't personally use it very much. And so, I don't know, it feels disingenuous or something. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Why, do, why don't you personally use it? Like if I need to learn something, then often like Skillshare is just like the first place I'll go to because someone has put in the effort of putting, to putting out like a 10 video course on this rather than searching for a YouTube video. Yeah, I guess I haven't like, I haven't, been doing much sort of new skill acquisition recently like i have i i very rarely think you know come, come into a situation where i need to do some technical activity that i don't know how to do and then i need to learn how to do it you know yeah. um yeah i think like for that kind of thing i definitely i definitely would go to skillshare but i think i don't really have to do that and so i'm i don't really use skillshare at the moment okay and yeah. so Fair play. i feel like i'm <laughs> Yeah, not being fully authentic <laughs> by shilling for Skillshare on the podcast. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, okay, now that seems reasonable. Hey, I've been really enjoying playing PlayStation these last few days. <laughs> it's, it's like genuinely the best thing in my life right now. <laughs> wow. It's actually so good. Uh, what changed your mindset about this? I think what changed my mindset about this was basically it was one night where I was thinking, you know what? screw this i'm gonna play playstation and i kind of got really immersed in horizon zero dawn playing on very hard difficulty and trying to clear like this bandit camp for like a solid three hours um and sort of dying multiple times and being like okay and sort of i sort of figuring out the strategy for clearing out the bandits over the Mm. course of that three hours and at the end of it finally clearing the bandit camp it's like damn you know i'm glad i did that and it was just sort of a solid it it, it was a total waste of time obviously like objectively Mm. like three hours of my life just spent dying over and over again i could have turned the difficulty setting down to easy and done it in 10 seconds but there was something about the challenge and about the immersiveness of it that was really fun and then i got to 2 a.m and i was like okay cool i'm gonna sleep now and then the next morning i was like i found myself thinking about it more i was like okay sort of researching youtube videos on what the best kind of skill talent tree is for my bowman skills and you know how how i get the best weapon in the game and, and and that sort of stuff and i realized that this is the sort of thing i'd I'd kind of been missing from my life since the World of Warcraft days. Yeah. Just this thing that is a total waste of time, but that is actually quite fun. And I found that for the next couple of days, I sort of found myself feeling 
happier slash more optimistic because it was like oh yeah i can't wait for the day to end because then i can play playstation yeah, yeah, or, yeah. i can't wait to finish my work for the day and then i can play playstation whereas before it was like you know like basically every every minute of my life is work in some some regard or another yeah and and there's nothing to look forward to at the end of it there's just more work yeah exactly <laughs> so, and, and the work is fun but it's nice having an extra thing to look forward to yeah 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 because uh, then you get the pleasure of looking forward to it and you also get the pleasure of doing it yeah so yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, how much how much of it do you think you'd be able to do before you start feeling bad about not working or something? Um, I think if I were to play all day, and then I'd probably feel bad about not working. But then, like, why would I feel bad about not working? Like, most of the things I do, like, I actually don't need to work every day. Yeah, it's just that I want to work every day because I want I have kind of these long term quote goals right. that I want to get to, and I know that playing video games is not going to get me closer to those quote goals. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think what I'm trying to get better at is sort of this balance between accepting on the one hand that, yes, I should act in service of my future self, but also yeah. saying, but on the other hand, that it's it's quite fun doing pointless waste of timey things in the moment. Mm. And as long as there's a decent balance there and my life is going reasonably all right on the on the on the uh, the axes that I care about, like health, wealth, relationships, um, happiness, etc. Yeah. Then, you know, who cares? Although the other day, well, was it yesterday? We 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 were at a, a dinner party, uh, and our friend said that you know the the next level is when you're playing PlayStation, but you're listening to podcasts while doing it, <laughs> or listening to audiobooks. And now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's incredible. Because if I'm, for example, playing Horizon Zero Dawn for four hours, yeah, I could actually be listening to an audiobook while doing that, <laughs> and that would be double. <laughs> double what? What would it be double? <laughs> it would be so. So, for example, I have a long list of of, of books that I want to read. Mm. but that uh, for for example w- with audiobooks normally i have like a fantasy series going on audible yeah. um and so that's what, what i listen to by default when i'm at the gym or when i'm driving yeah but it's those sort of s- s- books that i want to read that i would i would i would i would quite like to skim through just for general interest in things where i actually it doesn't need my full concentration mm. um and if the book ends up being really good then i can always just revisit it on kindle and yeah, make notes yeah. on it and stuff um, there was one uh, that I got yesterday called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Mm, yeah, I've been on my yeah. list for a while. Um, another one, all these kind of various business books about like business, growing a business and stuff. Like these are the sorts of things where I feel like I could actually get value from listening to it while playing Horizon Zero Dawn. Nice. So I'll try it out and report back. Nice. You get double. Like double, exactly. <laughs> double whammy. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, I, feel, I, I, I totally get the whole having something to look forward to at the end of the day thing. Uh, when... I think a few months ago, Mimi and I were watching Money Heist on Netflix in the evenings. And that was like really good. Like that was really engaging. I'd look forward to that that every single day. Whereas now, I don't know, at the end of the day, there's no like concrete thing. I, I know I, I could probably clock off and maybe spend an hour playing piano or reading or relaxing, you know, whatever that means. But that stuff is not as like... Sort not of, as tangible. As, it's not as tangibly fun. As, oh, like, yes. I get to clear out another bandit camp or yeah. I get to watch an episode of Money Heist. Yeah, that kind of thing. So I think, yeah, I need to try and build something like that in, into my routine. I think it's a good idea. I've, I've, I've been trying to do this for a while where I have sort of like a a, a defined like curfew time, like after 8 p.m. I'm not going to work type, yeah. type situation. I think having something like PlayStation to look forward to mm. makes it easier to do that. Whereas otherwise it's like, well, it's 8 p.m. now and I guess I could read a book, but I guess I could continue working because that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Good stuff. Should we get on to the meat of this episode? Yeah, what are we talking about today? All right, today I thought we would uh, read through and uh, think about a blog post 
written by a chap called Brian Timor. I think that's pronounced correctly. Uh, it's called Mimetic Traps. So I think I read this about a year ago. I think I've also read this, but I don't remember what it's about. Yeah, but it's yeah. really good. Okay. I think I, I remember reading this and thinking, man, I wish I read this like five years ago. Oh, interesting. And like, man, this should be required reading for anyone entering university. Probably even earlier than that, I think. Okay. So how, how are we doing this? Are you going to read it out? I will. Uh, yeah, I'll just one, read One paragraph out. at a time. Sorry? Uh, yeah, sure. All right, here we go. So Brian says, I've been a graduate student in physics for almost three years, but I only recently figured out why. I had to tackle a simple question to do so. The question was, why does this matter? I realized that I'd never forced myself to answer this honestly. As Paul Graham has pointed out, these systematic gaps in conversation should raise suspicion. They often indicate when you're wrong about something important. I was wrong in thinking that my work mattered to me, and I avoided asking myself this question because I knew the answer would be painful. One afternoon, while moving out of an apartment, I came across a cardboard box packed with binders and paper folders full of notes accumulated over the past year. As I let it fall in front of the door, a thought dropped into my head and stuck there. None of this means anything to me. This was, nominally, the fruit born of a year of my life, and it felt so viscerally wasted. Despair bought me honesty. By enrolling in graduate school, I'd made myself miserable for no reason. Why had I spent so much time in purposeless hard work? I arrived at a simple mechanism, an excessive sensitivity to the desires of others and a competitive environment. I ended up in physics through stubbornness and an unusual willingness to suffer for the sake of grades. As an undergraduate, I was not particularly passionate about quarks, quasars, or quantum mechanics, but I was academically very competitive, and once I'd settled on physics as a major, I determined to place myself at the top of the class. I did so by throwing myself into the hardest classes and putting in the hours required to ace the tests. This was, to put it mildly, a bad idea. I got a sort of grim pleasure from vanquishing my classmates in these academic slogs, but I was basically miserable. So why did I keep it up? When multiple people are are striving towards a shared goal, they often rank themselves by progress within their peer group. This was my mistake. I swapped an absolute goal, which was figuring out how bits of nature work, with a relative one, which was scoring higher on tests than my classmates. Later, when I found myself unhappy, I couldn't leave without feeling like I'd lost something. That social capital sunk cost was the first part of the trap I found myself in. The second was a positive feedback loop that encouraged me to spend ever-increasing amounts of time on my work. Humans inherit convictions mimetically from each other. We learn what to value by imitating our peers. As my desire to excel academically grew, I spent greater amounts of time in and around the physics department. The more time I spent there, the greater my desire to excel. I'd never given physics much thought at all before my senior year in high school, but once I was surrounded by other physics students competing for the same pool of grades and research positions, I could think of little else. This inherited desire was unchecked because I had no life outside of academics, no fixed reference point. Although quitting would have made me happier, I felt like I had nowhere to quit to. My tunnel vision left me with few concrete notions of alternative pursuits, and without a destination, I could not seriously contemplate leaving. Plans are never plausible until they contain specifics, and implausible plans tend to be discarded. Many of my peers in physics only added incredulity, consciously or otherwise. The result was a reality distortion field. Quitting was not just painful, but unimaginable, unthinkable. I ended up in graduate school not because I wanted to toe the bleeding edge of natural science, but because I simply couldn't imagine doing anything else. That's the mimetic trap in a nutshell. It hurts to leave and there's nowhere to go. It decouples the social reward signal from the rest of objective reality. You can spend years ascending ranks in a hierarchy without producing anything that the rest of humanity finds valuable. If you value the process itself, that's fine. 
I didn't. Cowardice kept me from acting on this, and after a while I came to believe I had to succeed in this field that I'd fallen into essentially by chance. I suspect I'm not the only one who's felt this trapping effect in physics. Some theorists seem to work on work primarily on fad topics inherited from other prominent departments. That's not to say these research areas aren't valuable, beautiful, or profound, but I'm wary of the process that pulls people into them. Among experimentalists, it's not, it's not hard to find graduate students who can tell you every detail about how a particular machine operates and almost nothing about why it should be built. Again, if they're enjoying the process, more power to them. My point is that they're driven in part by mimetic forces, and for people with a certain psychological weakness, this can lead to purposeless toil. I know what this feels like, and it terrifies me. Um, should I just keep reading? Or Yeah, let me, let me just read, yeah, the, whole read the whole thing. Yeah, read the whole thing, and we can sort of take bits one at a time. Yeah. Physics is hardly a lone offender within academia. Graduate programs select for intensely competitive individuals with highly specific skills, often with negligible market value outside of universities. A strong desire for publications on esoteric topics is inherited from senior postdocs and professors, making tunnel vision especially acute. The activation energy required for quitting is famously high, in part because the glow from the genuine intellectual lights in any field make outside jobs seem unfairly pale and shallow in comparison. The number of academic positions in any subfield is typically small and static, leading to zero-sum competition for titles. This is the worst sort of posturing and harms the psyche. As Eric Weinstein puts it, it's better to be in an expanding world and not quite in exactly the right field than to be in a contracting world where people's worst behavior comes out and your mind is grooved in defensive and rent-seeking types of ways. Academics have, u- have uniformly rather low salaries, increasing our tendency to focus on social status as a measure of success. Salary gradations are useful for disrupting mimetic effects because they tie efforts expended directly to units of universal economic value, convertible to kilos of rice, oil, and stuff in the physical world. A price is a lifeline to reality. All else being equal, the job with a lower wage is probably less valuable. Without the signal, the goals of a peer group are easily decoupled from the outside world, making it easy to drift into time-wasting pursuits. So, I've convinced myself that mimetic traps are a real thing, and that I, I should be worried about them. Should you? If you find yourself vaguely dissatisfied with your work, unable to describe coherently why you're doing what you're doing, yes, you probably should. Why does this matter is an excellent way to gauge if you've drifted into a mimetic trap. If you find this question impossible to answer honestly, you're probably wasting your time. Getting out is the hard part that requires courage and diligent planning. It's much easier to avoid falling in. But in either case, you'll benefit from building a system that steers you towards productive, meaningful activity in the long run. Mimetic environments are a serious problem only if you fall into one where you can't enjoy the process. They're a tool for amplifying ambition and diligence, and it's up to you to apply this tool to yourself wisely. This requires some care. It's important to have a strong learning signal, a fast feedback loop between effort expended and success. This way you'll know quickly what it takes to succeed, and whether you can be happy doing so. Look for environments where competitors see themselves as playing a game rather than fighting for survival. This prevents rankings within the hierarchy from becoming an existential problem. Outside of competitive environments, your peer group can be engineers to improve your decision-making and steer you away from unhappy traps. The authors you read or the podcasters you listen to are a good place to start because you have absolute control over their presence in your consciousness. Speaking with authors through their written work triggers the same neural circuits that produce imitation of desire. By stopping a bookshelf judiciously, you can express a preference over preferences. What should I value? What do I want to spend my waking hours thinking about? And act on it through careful, honest reading. This engineering is safe. Most authors exert their influence slowly over hundreds of pages, and if the effects turn out to be undesirable, you need only put the book down. It's cheap and reliable. If you want to emulate someone, start by reading what they read. Most importantly, it's powerful because authors form a large part of the meta-peer group that determines which communities and games you engage with. In closing, some tips. 
1. Don't force yourself to do anything you hate. If you get too good at this, you won't be able to figure out when to quit. 2. Enjoy the process of whatever you're doing. You'll be happier and much more likely to practice, which leads to better outcomes. 3. Make sure your job has clear price signals for success and failure. Be suspicious of roles that compensate you with status or non-financial rewards. 4. Hold yourself up to ambitious absolute standards in morals and productivity. Write them down on post-it notes. You have an obligation to use yourself well, your time is valuable, and there are right and wrong ways to spend it. 5. Maintain a diversity of pursuits. You want to ensure that, no matter how engrossed you become in one, you never forget that the others exist. And 6. Join Twitter. There's no better way to reduce tunnel vision. Uh, and then he links to a list of his favorite Twitter followers. Um, that's nice. the post. What do you reckon? That was good stuff, yeah. Um, yeah, it resonated with me quite a lot when I read it, read it sort of last year. Um, and still there are bits that now I'm thinking like I guess whenever I read something like this I am looking at it through the lens of essentially through the lens of what it, what it's like doing medicine right and yeah a lot of the a lot of the sort of disgruntlement I hear amongst kind of colleagues and medical students and stuff and I suspect the medic trap is a big part of yeah just sort of sort of feeling trapped like I've, I've heard from several consultants that they sort of feel feel trapped in this thing, which they sort of, sort of stumbled into, and then the the yellow brick road was in front of them. So you just kind of keep on going along the path, and you don't think about it too hard. Yeah. And then you look back at your life, and you think, "Damn, I'm not sure if I'm actually really enjoying this." And also, I don't know what else I could possibly be doing with my life instead. Yeah. And therefore, I, I guess I'm stuck here. So when you were at university, it seems like when Brian was at university, he really cared about beating his classmates and getting top of the class and stuff. What was your policy on that? My policy on that was always to treat it as a game. Um, I think I had like a healthy approach to it in that I was, I, I think I've, I've, I've told you this before, like I, I started to see it as sort of playing a, playing a collaborative video game where you're sort of working with your friends right. to take down the exam and amongst the damage dealers in your group, you've got like a friendly co- competition about who's doing the most damage per second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of, oh, Paul got 93%, but not in a sort of existential crisis, like, oh my God, my life is worthless because I, I, I got beaten by these people in an exam. Okay, yeah. Um, I think that was a healthy way of looking at it. Uh, a lot of people I knew had less healthy ways of looking at it, in my opinion, um, where, you know, the one, one school of thought was the genuine, seemingly genuine fear that they were going to fail and okay. therefore that this was a battle for survival uh, and that led to a lot of anxiety and stress and stuff um, another one was uh, it's kind of kind of the opposite of thinking thinking that rankings mean more than they actually do i think broadly speaking people got over that as the years progressed mm. as you realized that yeah because i think when you when when you go in everyone every everyone who goes into university is in that position of having been fairly close to the top of their school and then when you get there, you're like, oh crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone else is also in this position and therefore I'm like bang, bang average right now. Yeah. And so that requires you to uh, sort of face that aspect of your life where previously it was a reasonable strategy to just aim for being top of the year. And now it's no longer a reasonable strategy to do that. So you used to care about that quite a lot in school. Yeah. Why was that? Uh, I think it was because of it. it was like my main source of identity. Uh, I didn't quite think about why I cared about it. I just knew that I did. I think had I come across an article like this, I would have maybe stopped to think at the time that, hmm, I don't know why I actually care about this. Yeah. I think the easy thing for me to latch onto was that, oh, if I come top of the year, then that'll increase my chances of getting into Oxford slash Cambridge. Yeah. Uh, and to an extent that is true. Yeah. Um, so I think that was the sort of ostensible justification for the mm. falling into that trap of caring about grades. Yeah, I think this is actually quite a thorny problem because... 
I think like there are plenty of things that you can do for the wrong reasons, but it's still probably worth doing them.、Mm. Like for example, I think very few teenagers <laughs> have unproblematic reasons for <laughs> wanting to sort of do well academically and wanting to get into university. Sure.、Um, yeah, I, I think like it's mostly just like you know. Time your self worth to your academics or something, or like social status, or you know, wanting your parents to love you or whatever. I think like, yeah, I certainly wasn't, I wasn't particularly enlightened about this stuff, and I think very few teenagers actually are. And so, and, and like at the same time, you could do worse things than work hard in school to, you know, yeah, get into a good university. But I think it's, it's still, yeah, I think that's what that's what makes it tricky because it really does encourage a bad mindset towards life. But it feels like, oh, I mean, how bad can it be? You know, I'm just, you know, objectively, it is, you know, it is valuable for me to do this thing in the long term, even if I'm doing it for the wrong reasons in the short term. Yeah, I, I'm not sure the reasons are particularly important. I think how are they not important? Okay, I mean, I guess it it it, it kind of comes back to this thing of what are you optimizing for, right? So the way that I think about it is that okay, right? So firstly, every everyone needs an economic engine of some sort. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so, gearing up kind of the early years of your life in a way that gives you an economic engine is actually like, like, like fair enough. It, it again, I, I'm saying that I'm saying that it is valuable, but like every, most people are probably doing it for the wrong reasons for quite a while. Yeah, and what I'm saying is that while yes, you might be doing it for the wrong reasons, but that doesn't matter if as 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 long as you're doing it. And it it it, it depends what you're optimizing for. If you're optimizing for the economic engine, then It kind of doesn't matter why you're doing it as long as you're getting there. If you're optimizing for sort of long-term being an enlightened thinker, then sure, the earlier you want to. No, no. The thing is,、know. I think like I don't think the two options are、uh, have this long-term thinking but do it for the. I, I don't. I don't think the options are like try to try to do well in school for no good reason and end up, you know, having a good foundation for your career or something versus. You know, being completely enlightened at age twelve and just like meditating in a Zen state and not doing anything with your life, you know,、yeah. those are the options. I think I think there's a third option, which is to rewire how you think when you are a teenager,、yeah. so that I mean, yeah, like objectively, it's a good idea to, to figure out some kind of economic engine for the rest of your life.、Mm. Like, I, I think there are unproblematic ways to reach that conclusion and decide to spend time doing that, and like. I think that the option number three is to rewire why you're doing things and how you think about things, and then you you probably conclude, okay, it's still worthwhile for me to try and do well in school and for me to you know do X, Y, and Z.、Mm. You can conclude the same things in an unproblematic way, which means that then you're not you don't have this like dodgy mental wiring when you're sort of at、mm. university and becoming an adult. And, yeah, so, and、yeah. like I think yeah, I mean I, I I I'm definitely still grappling with my own dodgy mental wiring. I think you know. Most of like adulthood is 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 trying to figure out this stuff, and if you set yourself up more wholesomely, I guess,、um, in the earlier years, then you probably have less dodgy mental stuff to sort out afterwards. Yeah, I can get on board with that.、Um, I suppose to use a simple example, a sort of a quote problematic way of doing the getting good 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 grades thing is thinking I want to beat the people in my year group. Yeah, exactly. And a、yeah. less problematic way of doing it is sort of thinking, well. You know, I kind of want an economic engine. I know that getting decent A level results is what is will, will sort of help me in that direction, and therefore I want to get decent A level results. Yeah, yeah. I think like the focus on competition and like coming top of the year and things yeah, like that. Yeah, that's all the problem. I can't. Yeah, I can't like think of any 
defense for that kind of thinking. Uh, but then someone, I think you you brought this up. So when, when we were going on the Scotland trip, I think we were talking about this stuff, and I was like saying, "Well, your shtick, shtick of like competition is bad," and then you were like, "Okay, what about sports?" Mm. You know, and and you said, "Well, competition is bad in, in every domain other than sports." <laughs> <laughs> I think that's sports what I said. is a special case. <laughs> is what you said, yeah. I think that's what I said. Okay, do you agree that like yeah? So Brian talks about this as having like an absolute goal versus a relative goal, where where the absolute goal is like, oh, I want to like understand all this math stuff, and the relative goal is I want to come top of my class and beat my classmates. Um, I think I think in that context, like having the having having the relative goal is not good. Depends what you mean by not good. Like again, if you're if you're if you're approaching it in the right way, i.e. I, like in in and in my opinion, the right way is to treat it as a game. Yeah, and treat it as friendly competition. Treat it like like winning a monopoly or something, you know. Then, and you also and you're also enjoying yourself doing like the work or whatever. If you're like sort of killing yourself working at the expense of your physical health, your mental health, and your relationships for the sake of coming top of the year because you think that's going to be good for you, then sure, that becomes problematic. But if actually life's going pretty well, you're enjoying your stuff, you're sort of exercising, you're eating well, you're sleeping eight hours a night, and you haven't got any significant mental issues as a result of this, then. Why not <laughs> aim for <laughs> coming top of the year? Aim for getting full marks of that math test because you want your te- because your maths teacher kind of gives them out in ascending in ascending order, and therefore you want to be the last one to get the test back. <laughs> like I think that yeah, I think it's worth digging into the competition thing because I think there is there is definitely sort of a friendly competition and unfriendly competition. It sounds like the thing that Brian was going through in his you know uh, as a mm. physics grad student or whatever was more of the unfriendly competition where it's like, look, there's only one, you know, research position that only one of us can get and there's like five of us or something, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's sort of very like zero sum. Yeah. And I think that's kind of bad. But, uh, well, it's, it's sort of like, that's not the kind of competition you were talking about. I think like friend, the friendly competition thing, it's, it's kind of only possible when you know the people involved, right? Like, for example... We had to do a test to get into secondary school called the 11 plus. Mm. And you know a few of the people who are taking the test because your friends are probably taking it. But then there's also like a couple of thousand people in the local area who are taking it who you don't know. Like if you're, if you're thinking like, you know, if you, if you think, okay, I, I want to come like top in this, in this 11 plus exam. Mm. What, what would the friendly competition aspect be? I can imagine amongst your friends is like a friendly competition of like, oh, who can do the best and like, you know, we're all happy for each other at the end of the day and stuff. But I, I can't imagine what the friendly competition mindset is that would lead to you wanting to come like top overall in this thing, for example. Uh, so, firstly, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure anyone goes into that exam with the mentality of want to come top. No, no, I'm just giving but, you an example. Sure. An example okay. of like, if you wanted to come top in an exam like that, where there's like a few thousand people doing it, you okay. don't know most of them. Like, what is What's an unproblematic okay. competitive mindset in so, that case? When I was in my third year, I set out at the start of the year that I want to come top of the year. Why did you do that? Um, so, because I thought it would be a fun challenge going back to challenge and friendly competition. Um, in my first year, I was like, oh, screw it, like exams, who cares? As long as I go to one, I'm happy. But then in, in exam time, I was like, oh, actually, first would be quite nice uh, because I'm actually enjoying this and I kind of know the way forward. And, you know, it, it, it would just be nice to get that kind of gold medal. Okay. I yeah. uh, and I I worked towards it at that point, and I missed out on it by like two percent or something, which is actually quite a lot in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and I was in second year. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, 
I now know that getting a first is sort of sort of a goal of mine. Therefore, I want to sort of actually work in sort of consistently throughout the year and use effective study techniques to try and get the first. Yeah. And I got the first and second year, and that was like a really nice sort of temporary feeling of euphoria of, oh, okay. I've actually worked with this thing and I've got it. It wasn't a case of I want to come in the top X percent of the year. It was I want to hit this arbitrary exam-based milestone of getting 68%. Okay, yeah. <laughs> getting first class. And then in third year, I was like, okay, so that was fun. I wonder, can I play this game where I'm, I'm aiming to come top of the year this year? Um, mostly, it was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was studying psychology. There were only about like 80 or 90 people doing it, most of whom I didn't know. Okay. Um, there was a mixture of medics and natural scientists doing it. So I was like, if, like, if I ever have a chance to come top of the year, it is this year. I'm never going to come top of the year in actual medicine where there's 300 people. Yeah. Um, and I thought... Yeah, you know what? Why don't we just set this set this challenge just as a just as like a, a, a goal to myself? Yeah, and like third year was amazing. It was like big on the social front. You know, that was the year that six men the business started to do really well. That was the year we launched we launched Beat Mac Ninja. We launched our interview crash course. There was like like all sorts of other stuff that I did on the side. And then in in, in exam term, I had this thing of I really want to come top of the year. And so I, it was like a just a fun a fun way of approaching approaching the exam. And for me, like, at that time, there was no anxiety, there was no stress. It was, it was literally just a, this would be kind of cool. Mm. I guess it's, I, I, I guess it would be sort of like if you're doing the math Olympiad and you're thinking, you know what, it would be pretty cool if I got 100% of this. <laughs> okay, yeah. And like, you're not actually, or it, or it, it would be pretty cool if I ranked first in the world or something in, in, in this exam. Like, you're probably not seriously caring about the competition. You're just thinking, oh, this actually might be kind of cool. Kind of like breaking a world record or something. Like, it's just like, it's just like a fun thing to do in and of itself. And it's, and therefore it's, is analogous to the sports scenario where why, like, why do, why do you want to win the 100 meters gold gold medal? I don't know. I guess, I guess it just, it, it seems a fun thing to do. Hmm. I think as, as, as long as you can detach your sort of self-worth from it, then it's just a, you know, competition is an interesting aspect of life. Competition is an interesting aspect of life. Hmm. Like playing badminton yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Say, hitting a shot club friendly, yeah, that's all fun and stuff. But it, it's it is more fun when you go, like, all right, let's let's yeah. have a game now. Yeah, <laughs> the warm up's over. <laughs> let's get down to business. Take the jacket off. Yeah, that's the thing. Competition is fun. Mm. But basically, I'm trying to come up with like a description of good competition and bad competition because there are there's a trap of falling into a bad competition, which is what he talks about, where <laughs> you're kind of inheriting the desires of the people around you, and you're sort of start competing in this game that you don't even care about winning. Okay. Yeah. I think one aspect of bad competition is not enjoying the process. Yeah, for sure. So that's an easy aspect in which we think, okay, if you're not enjoying it and you're sort of competing for the sake of it, then probably bad. Then there will be the caveat that, you know, if you're competing in anything, you're not going to enjoy it 100% of the time. So you have to <laughs> have some kind of measure by which you're, you, you're sort of enjoying it, but not necessarily 100% of the time. And at a certain point, you're thinking, "Well, I'm enjoying it enough to justify being in this competition." I don't know. I don't know if the, I don't know if I think that enjoying 100 percent of things that meaningful. Like, for example, in a game of badminton, I don't know. Maybe you'd feel bad if you were if you're like losing really badly or something, or like if you're playing you know video games against your friend or something. Like, it's fun even if you lose, right? Like, yeah, it's 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 really more about the process. Sure. I don't know. Maybe some, some very serious people, the outcome really matters a lot. Like, if you're a pro gamer or something. Mm. But but yeah, I, I think. I think maybe what it comes down to is how like well defined the competition is. You know, if you're playing a sport like badminton or running, yeah. there are, there are clear boundaries of where the sport starts and ends. Mm. But I think uh, ah yeah, I think this might be it. I think what what um, what maybe leads to bad competition is where 
you're competing in a more abstract sense. Mm. And that is uh, in a more abstract sense of like, you know, I want to be better than this person or I want to, you know, I'm comparing myself to this person holistically and I want to like be better than them or something. Mm. I, I think where, where like the rules of the competition aren't very well defined, that that's kind of what leads to bad things. So I think at university, there was definitely a sense that uh, lots of people were quite ambitious to, <laughs> to use uh, the word that I, I don't really like, mm. but it, it was a kind of unfocused sense of ambition. Like no one really knew what they cared about. There was just a general sense of like, oh, I want to like do stuff and be good at stuff and kind of beat other people at stuff. Yeah. But I don't really, don't really know why. I don't, why yeah, I don't really have my own compass for what I care about. Yeah. And I think like there are lots of ways to maybe fall into that kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, I remember feeling that quite strongly at university where I, I felt this thing of like, oh, I need to be doing stuff, <laughs> you know, like an undirected sort of ambition, I guess, which is kind of this mimetic trap of like looking at the people around you and trying to see, okay, what, what do the people around me value? And it's like, oh, okay, most of my peers are going to going into X, Y, and Z industry. That must be valuable. Maybe I should start competing in that industry. Um, yeah, I think it's one of those things that, like certainly during school, I, it, it it goes back to this the, this being a thorny issue in that there are worse heuristics to have <laughs> other than, you know, let me see what the peers around me care about and I will also care about these things and compete against them. If you do that, you're probably going to be all right in so far as you're in the, in sort of the, on, on like a superficial level. Uh, but if you do do that, then you do run the risk of falling into this trap as, as, as this guy says. I don't think there are. You just said that. I think there are worse heuristics you could have. What's an example of a worse heuristic than that? I mean, it's equivalent to the. There are worse things to do than say, I'm going to get. I want to get the highest grades. Sorry. Like it's a reasonable heuristic that you know. How do I? I. So I have un, unclear information about what I actually want. It's a big question. I, I don't. I don't really want to grapple with it. Um, I don't really have a lot of time for thinking deeply about this stuff, nor do I care to. Um, I'm in this degree where people around me broadly are very, very similar to myself. If 90% of people in the year group are getting internships this summer, I guess it's, it, it's, it's a reasonable heuristic to assume that is a reasonable thing to do. And therefore I will also do the same and try and compete with them on, on, on that front. Like you can't go very far wrong by doing that in sort of the old, old school model of the world. Um, for example, you know, if if you imagine a few a few decades ago, if your heuristic was I'm going to go into the same job that more my friends are going into, and or like I'm going to go, I'm going to join my father's company. Yeah, and it's a reason. It's exactly. It's it's the, there are worse heuristics to have than I'm going to join my father's company. I think there there are worse if you're looking at the external aspects of it. Yeah, there are worse heuristics to have because yeah. it would lead you to. Um, yeah, I guess I mean, like, it would lead you to lead probably you to like, doing okay economically. Yeah, superficially would be all right. Yeah, but like. <laughs> Fine, yeah, it leads you to do maybe doing okay economically, yeah. but if it, it feels like quite a bad way, and like at some point in your life, you have you have to face that and try and undo that. Quite. And so I don't know if maybe there are worse heuristics to have, but it does not seem like a good heuristic. And I certainly wish it wasn't my heuristic for quite so long. Yeah, I think that would be ideal uh, if it if we actually had good reasons for doing all the things that we're doing. No, no, but here's the thing: like if this is not some insurmountable task. I think. I think you just need to like tell someone, "Hey, man, just like think about this thing for a bit." I, I I had I had never even thought about this stuff when I was in my first or second year of university. I I never like you know I I had never thought, okay, why do I care about the things I care about? Why why do I think I desire this particular thing? You know, 
And most of it was just like inherited from the people around me. Mm. There were a few things that I did genuinely care about. I think I was always into like the tech and the sort of startup kind of stuff before I even knew that was a thing that was yeah. valuable. Um, so I think that was kind of, that was actually authentic. But I spent an awful lot of time doing random stuff that w- weren't authentic desires that were very much like inherited. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where unless unless you come across the idea, you're unlikely to just randomly stumble into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, there have been a few ideas like that, mostly that I've come across through listening to podcasts and then finding guests and kind of reading their books or, or things like that. Mm. Um, for example, when I discovered Derek Sivis through the Tim Ferriss podcast and read his book, which is all about like, you know, I'd been, I'd been growing a business at the time and his book. Mate, this is not recording. Is it not? Why not? I don't know. Actually, it seems to be un- unplugged. All right, we're back recording on a microphone. Sorry about that, uh sound issue what were we talking about what were we saying um figuring out why you want to do the things that you're doing uh mimetic traps yeah like figuring out the stuff you truly care about and how like yeah i think i certainly wasn't thinking about this stuff but i think like i i think you're certainly capable of thinking about this stuff yeah when you're quite young tend not yeah like not to realize that it's a thing yeah it's 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 so invisible and i think it comes back to something that I think I said something like this when, when we were talking about that Eric Weinstein podcast episode with his son, um, where it seems like Eric takes his son very seriously, even though he's a, you know, from a, from a young age, uh, which I think is a privilege that few, few children have. Um, yeah, it seems like you could save someone an awful lot of time if you just, you know, occasionally nudge their thinking in the right direction uh, or like get them to think about things in a slightly different way. And I think I mentioned that in like year nine, our English teacher I think she was just like lazy for a couple of lessons or something. And she just put on this Alain de Botton documentary called Status Anxiety. And I feel like that kind of leveled up my brain in a new way yeah. to like being able to think about certain things. So I, I didn't realize you were allowed to think about these things. Mm. And similarly, like I really, I think it's like such a low hanging fruit that if you just like nudge someone into like, hey, <laughs> have a think about this, <laughs> it could really change quite a lot. So this is very interesting um, because... I think what we're getting at is having, in a way, having like authentic reasons for doing the things that you're doing. And this is something I've been quite struggling with recently and have been on a search to find like good ways of thinking about this in the realm of sort of values, vision, meaning like, what do I kind of want from life? Yeah. And this is kind of like, this converges on, on the ultimate question of what is the meaning of life, which, 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 which all of this stuff sort of does. And when you phrase it that way, it's like, well, <laughs> it's it's too hard to answer. And so there are more, there are less abstract, more concrete ways of thinking about the problem that I am kind of exploring. I'm 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 part of this kind of monthly business mastermind type thing, and I posed where the the idea is just like six of us, and we all get the floor for like fifteen minutes each, and we just kind of talk about a problem that we're having, and the others give suggestions. Yeah. And so I mentioned this. This was like a few days ago. I mentioned this thing of not really knowing why I'm doing the things I'm doing, not really having kind of a North star to work towards things like that. And one of the guys, he's, he's some, some like business coach. He sort of gave me this exercise. Uh, the way that he asks his clients to think about it is, is he asks them to think about what their ideal ordinary. Sorry. He asks them to think about what their ideal ordinary week would look like. Uh, ideal. So like, so not like an ideal week because you might be on holiday or something and not like a fully ordinary week, but like your ideal ordinary week. Okay. What you want that to look like. And there were a few kind of sub questions here and there was one that really hit me in and, and, and the questions were, were, were things like, you know, uh, you know, wh- where do you live? What do you do? How do you, how do you spend your time? And probably one of the most important ones was who do you serve? 
who are you serving? And he said that I suspect the reason that you're having an issue with this question is because you're not thinking about who you want to serve. And that and that felt very insightful. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm actually not it's it's not something I'm thinking very consciously about. And so that exercise in on top of like a few others, there's another one called the Odyssey plan is where you kind of imagine your life five years from now. And then you imagine your life five, five years from now if you took a different path. And then you imagine your life five years from now if money and social expectations were no object at all. Mm. And again, that is sort of a more concrete way of looking at the problem, at the, this ultimate question of what is like, what's the meaning in my life? Yeah. But just sort of a more sort of framework approach to it. And so I'm trying to work through some of these to figure out like, what do I actually want and why am I going after the things I'm going after? Yeah. That's tricky. Have you made any progress? Um, not really. Other than A, knowing that it's a problem. And be, be because I just haven't 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 been thinking about it at all for the past like my life. Yeah. So a knowing that it's a thing, and b knowing that there are tools and resources and exercises that you can do to help think about it. Because just sitting there and introspecting about what I want, I mean, I've I've tried that and it hasn't quite worked for me. Mm. Um, the other thing as well was like with the whole kind of productivity shtick that I do, I want to move towards a you know like the pilot and the plane, the pilot uh, being kind of figuring out where you're going and the plane sort of executing on the orders of the pilot. Yeah, sure. And I think an, an important part of being the pilot is having some sort of a idea of where you're going long-term and why that's the direction that you want to be going. Yeah. Um, because it would be very easy to... So for, so, for example, I had a thing a few months ago that you pointed out was... It, it might have been you pointing this out or it might have been another friend who I talked about this stuff a lot with, which was this thing of, hey, it would be cool to become the most famous medical educator in the world. Oh, God, yeah. And that was like a goal i guess but there was no compelling reason why yeah and it took sort of a couple like you and this friend and a couple other people sort of sort of poking holes in my arguments being like for me to be like okay i actually don't have a good reason for wanting to do this thing yeah therefore i could just abandon the goal great oh fantastic cool yeah. my, my life has now opened up and i can kind of do what i want <laughs> oh crap how do i how do i figure this out now yeah yeah these questions are tricky i mean it's, it seems like i definitely know some people who, who seem to have like quite uh concrete answers mm. like you know, Lucia's yeah. life goal is to reduce human suffering. I have a friend of mine who, like, I still can't quite wrap my head around this, but <laughs> he's just all about like, he, he wants to, he's like really dedi- dedicating his life towards uh, sort of like the, the prosperity of the human race or something. And he's kind of concluded that, <laughs> uh, yeah, increasing like human productivity as a whole. Uh, is would be like highly valuable thing for oh, the human race. Great. Who's this friend? I should talk to him. <laughs> no, no, not productivity in your sense. <laughs> uh, productivity in the sense of like. So he he he's concluded that the most worthwhile way. To <laughs> this, this sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but I I think it's actually legit. I like talking to him about this, and it's pretty convincing. Like the the most valuable thing he can do with his time is to uh is is right now to build a robot arm <laughs> that can do your housework. <laughs> And then uh, use that as like a stepping stone to sort of uh, automating away uh, housework, okay. which will like free up, you know, 5% of you know, human time or something, which is quite a lot. And then like, you know, using that as a springboard to automate away other things that uh, that people don't like doing. Hmm, interesting. But he genuinely seems to have ha- have aligned his entire life around like how can how can we the human race make more progress and like what how can i spend my time to make that happen which i find weird yeah i mean 
I was listening, re-listening to the Naval interview on Farnham, Farnham Street yesterday oh, yeah. in the car, uh, and he talks about how, y- yes, it's important to have like this sort of North Star vision of what you want, but also recognizing that this will probably change every year. And I think that's an, 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 another aspect of it that I think, I think the way I'm thinking about it right now is that this needs to be a goal that I have for the rest of my life, and I need to have a good reason for pursuing the goal for the rest of my life. Yeah. But actually... I should probably accept more that actually I can change my mind a bit on this front. Yeah. And yeah, as long as kind of what I'm doing is fun slash meaningful, then in in my way, then, you know, you can't go far wrong from there. Apart from Lucia, do you know any people who seem to have like a very clear thing that they care about and orient their lives around? So, yes. But Molly's thing, for example, is that I just want to have a family and be a good mom. Okay. And yeah, <laughs> every, every, everything kind of goes to that. And it seems like a, she's just like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really care about most other things. I just want to, you know, raise a good family and be a good mom. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's so, that's so wholesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no, you know, have you, have you thought about passive income? No, nah, not really. <laughs> um, you know, do you, do you realize, hy- hypothetically, would you say no to an extra £2,000 a month? No, I wouldn't say no to that. Do you realize that if you had an extra £2,000 a month, you'd be able to work less and therefore spend more time with your kids? Yeah. Do you want to make an extra two thousand pounds a month? Uh, nah, probably not. <laughs> it's okay. a, it's a. I'm. It, it it just seems like a very sort of wholesome, nice, family oriented way of looking at the world. Uh, but like, but I guess on the side, she's also like an adv- advocate for like disabled people and re- really strongly cares about that and stuff. So that sort of she's probably one of the people who comes closest I know to having some kind of defined life goal and <laughs> everything kind of being geared towards that. Yeah. What about you, apart from this friend with the machine arm? Apart from the friend with the machine arm, I'm not too sure. I think most of the rest of us are figuring it out. But I think the question of who do you serve, I think that's pretty good. Because I think I mostly live my life trying to serve myself, yeah, really. Yeah, same. 100%. And I think that's bad. And apparently this changes when you have like a wife and kids and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to find, yeah, it's, I think it's all about escaping the self <laughs> and uh, being part of something bigger. Yeah, I mean, I think, my, I guess, yeah, my friends who are very religious, for example, have a very good answer of like, you know, I live my life to serve God or whatever. Yeah. I'm not quite at that level. I'd like to get there. I need to, I don't know, become a bit more enlightened on the religious front. Yeah, I don't know. It's tricky. If any listeners have a very strong sense for like what you, you know, what is your kind of compass in life and like that kind of stuff, we'd definitely be curious to hear it. You can drop us a tweet or a, an email. Yeah, so going back to the, the, this article, this is the mimetic track in a nutshell. It hurts to leave and there's nowhere to go. It decouples the social reward signal from the rest of objective reality. You can spend years ascending ranks in a hierarchy without producing anything that the rest of humanity finds valuable. Hmm. If you value the process itself, that's fine. I didn't. Cowardice kept me from acting on this. And after a while, I came to believe I had to succeed in this field I'd fallen into essentially by chance. I, I'm actually, I'm not completely on board with this thing about valuing the process. I think there, there are also many possible traps you can fall into where the process is, it's not unenjoyable. No, the process is like maybe even mildly enjoyable, mm. but it's probably not the best thing in the long term or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's just, he's, he's saying, I feel like he's saying this as a sort of preemptive defense against the, yeah, but I'm enjoying my subject. Like, yeah, if, like, if that's the case, all right, fine, you do you. <laughs> I wonder if anyone reading this will actually think, oh, it's fine. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Therefore, I'm not falling into a mimetic trap. 
Because when I shared this on my email newsletter, I got a lot, a lot of replies being like, oh my God, this really helped me think about work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we just go over his tips. So in closing, don't force yourself to do anything you hate. If you get too good at this, you won't be able to figure out when to quit. Yeah. I am broadly on board with the make sure you're enjoying the stuff that you're doing. There is, again, there is the whole caveat that, well, if you're in pursuit of figuring out your economic engine, depending on your levels of privilege, you might actually have to do stuff that you don't like. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, But beyond that, enjoy the process of whatever you're doing. You'll be happier and much more likely to practice, which leads to better outcomes. Yeah, I can get on board with that. As that tweet says, you can't compete with someone else who's having fun. Yeah. Make sure your job has clear price signals for success and failure. Be suspicious of roles that compensate you with status or non-financial rewards. I don't know. I'm also a little skeptical of this. I think there are like, I don't think, I don't think the economy does a good job of rewarding the things that are the most valuable most of the time. You know, for like, you know, you could, you could be like a, a high frequency trader or something yeah. that <laughs> you're very much rewarded financially. Um, it could be like a teacher, very much re- rewarded non-financially. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like just because something has clear price like if you're a trader it has very clear price signals for success and failure because you can see exactly how much money you've made um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's like you know you should spend your time doing this thing yeah true hold yourself to ambitious absolute standards and morals and productivity write them down in post-it notes you have an obligation to use yourself well your time is valuable and there are right and wrong ways to spend it I mean you know with this these sort of tweetable things there's obviously a lot of nuance that's lost in the in the compression yeah maintain a diversity of pursuits you want to ensure that no matter how engrossed you become in one you never forget that the others exist yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm keen on this look, this i think this look once again as i said in the last episode all roads lead to the question that agnes Callot is trying to answer in her book called mm. aspiration <laughs> yeah <laughs> you should really read the book man <laughs> like if you're thinking about this stuff okay i mean i want you to read it first so we can discuss it sort of while i am book yeah, naive. yeah yeah i'm making progress but the thing is it's like you know, I start reading it when I'm tired and in bed and stuff. And then I think, man, I really need to like focus on this thing. Like, you know, like it's, it's a serious book. It's getting quite, it's getting like a little bit academic, but not too academic for me, I think. Do you want your life to be in a place where you, for example, have time to read the book, sort of a concerted session of book reading each morning, for example? Yeah, for sure. Are you sure? Do I want my life to be like that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Why, why haven't you made it happen? Given that you control your schedule? Yeah, it's because... I think maybe I've mentioned this before. I feel like everything else in my life would fall into place if I could just go to bed and wake up at the right time every day. But for the past week or two, I don't know, I just feel like tired all the time. I wake up and then it's like, oh man, I want to sleep a bit more. And then I sleep a bit more. And I'm like, oh crap, I need to like start work now. It's, it's now like you know 10 o'clock or something or 9.30 or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I, I just have time for breakfast and then I need to like do stuff. Okay. And um, yeah, I, if I could somehow stick to a routine of like, I'm going to sleep at midnight every single night and wake up at 8 a.m. I could do freaking three hours of <laughs> reading, writing, <laughs> enrichment activities. Okay. So how, how are you going to make this happen? I don't know. Like, it, do, it, do you wake up and sleep at the right time every day? Uh, I am going to from tomorrow. <laughs> how? Uh, so this is... The, the, the reason I'm asking you these questions is because um with my business coach uh for this week this was something that we we were kind of leaning towards like i was saying i was saying to him that i want to have two hours each day where i do writing mm. uh 
because that would just make everything else fall into place in such a nice way. And he was like, okay, how are you going to make it happen? I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I, well, yeah. I guess I'll wake up at sort of six o'clock and then go to the gym and do writing there. And he was like, are you, are you actually going to do that? And I was like, yeah. He was like, all right, how are you going to make it happen? And I was like, okay, well, huh, okay, what's stopping me from, okay, so if I had my phone in the kitchen and I had to leave my bedroom to turn it off and the alarm was at six o'clock yeah. and I had my gym kit out, at that point, I'd be up, I'd be out of bed and I'd be in my gym kit so I could, I could do that. He was like, okay, are you going to remember to do that? Uh, I was like, okay, you know, right. So I, I, I left the Zoom call to put an iPhone charger in the kitchen and have a lightning cable plugged into it at all times. So when I go back to Cambridge tonight, that's where my phone is going to be. And to, and, and the, the other thing we stacked on top of that is tomorrow morning from 8 till 10, I'm doing like a Zoom kind of library session with him because he also wants to get writing and he was like, okay, cool. We'll hold ourselves accountable to this. Yeah. We're both going to be sort of, you're going to have done your workout by 8 a.m. You're going to sit in the gym cafe. You're going to get a, a latte and we're going to do writing for two hours. Nice. Uh, and it's just sort of breaking down this thing of me recognizing that I know my life would be better if I could do two hours of writing every day. And yeah. if I worked out every day, like I just know it would be. Yeah. And it just needs someone to actually let me break down all the BS excuses in my mind and yeah. just actually do the thing. So you think this having this accountability partner away, he's expecting you to be there at ATM, will make the difference? I mean, I, f- I feel it's more just the fact that I'm now thinking about this because, I, I, for example, like what I feel you're doing is is thinking, oh, it would be amazing, but 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 this is actually a pipe dream. There's no way I can actually sleep at midnight and wake up at eight a.m. <laughs> Good one. And in a way, you're you're basking in the uh, unproductiveness. Mm. You're you're yeah, doing yeah, a yeah. spank me, daddy. I've been a, I've been a naughty boy. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Doing that I for yourself. Someone, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to tell me I've been naughty. And so you need to confront your own BS excuses and recognize that if this is something you want from your life, you okay. actually can. Right. What's going to stop me from going to bed at midnight today? I'm actually socializing in London at night. Sure. Until midnight? Mm, possibly. No, I'll, I'll make myself be back home by midnight. Okay. And then you'll sleep. And then I'll sleep. Great. And then I'll wake up at 8. Okay. And then you can join my Zoom session. All right. And your only job between 8 to 10 p.m. is to do non-work-related things. Yeah. Which you're going to be, which will sort of are serving your future self rather than serving your investors. Right. <laughs> I.e. reading Agnes's book and writing about it or something like that. All right. 8 a.m. I'll see you there. Yeah. This is something I, I actually want to do for, because um, I'm working and setting up like a membership site for my own stuff. Uh, and so I, I feel, I feel like doing sort of a, a few times a week kind of library session to encourage accountability for everyone who's in the group. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It would be quite fun. Yeah. All right, good stuff. We will uh, link to this article in the show notes. Sorry for the bad sound quality for uh, some of this episode. Let's read out a couple of because someone has given us a three-star review just to catch it. So we have a five-star review from Jin Yeezy One who says, No waste mannery here. Such an amazing podcast. The content is always so engaging and the dynamics between Ali and Tamor are always hilarious. Would definitely recommend it if you're into productivity, psychology, and above-average uh-huh. chat. P.S. Ali and Tamor, if you see this, it would mean the world to me if you could shout out my dad, Hamish, on the podcast. He's been a long-time listener and supporter of Ali's channel, and his birthday's coming up. We both eagerly await for Sunday so we can listen to and talk about the new episodes. Oh, oh shout out Hamish. Yeah, happy birthday, uh, Hamish. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for your ongoing support. Um, oh, we have another one from Cool Hassan, who has given a three-star review. Hi, Ali and Tamor. I'd firstly like to say the podcast has the potential of making it big, and I, I have given it a low rating just to catch your attention. The way you guys articulate and not overthink is truly revolutionary for me as an 18-year-old. However, one thing that does annoy me is when you go off topic, which is fine, but then you don't proceed to finish off the topic. I think you can improve the podcast by, number one, increasing the length of your podcasts. Personally, they are too short. 
B. Plan out topics that you want to cover with some points written out so you know when you're going off track. I'm sure Notion will reduce the friction for that. Thank you. C. Bring on STEM individuals on the podcast. And D. Make a podcast about why you're Muslim considering your backgrounds in academia and how this doesn't conflict with your beliefs. Interesting. Thank you, Cole Hassan, for that review. And guys, if you also want to leave a review, please leave it on iTunes. There'll be a link in the show notes. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at N Overthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.